Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. What a beautiful morning. My goodness. I uh, think the Father loves the worship. The Spirit embodies the worship, and the Son joins us in worship. What a, what a great day. Did you see the title to the message this morning? The Beautiful Return to Church. Oh, I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not talking about the beautiful return to the place. I'm talking about the beautiful return to being the church. A people, not a place. I'm talking about the idea of that those of us who follow Jesus are called on purpose for a purpose. We are church, devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, hanging out with each other, to prayer, to doing all of the things that church is called to do, all the things that we are. I want to encourage you, I want to invite you, I want to like exhort you not to attend church this morning. Don't leave. I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to be church if in fact you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because the church is not a place. The church is a people. The church is the people of God called out on purpose for a purpose. And we are, if in fact you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are church. When we read the New Testament, when we look at everything that was done in in this book, the people that Jesus left behind that he calls the church, they had this huge, this massive, this amazing, this beautiful impact on the communities that they lived in. They faced huge and massive opposition, persecution. And oppression. They, they were tortured. They were killed. They were in prison. The, the church was under attack all the time. And yet they moved forward over and over and over into this space, into the places where people were so that they could experience the love of Christ. The church is the amazing movement of God's people in and throughout the whole world. And, and I know, I know, I've been reading the stuff that they're talking about church. How awful church people are. How, how hypocritical church people are. And some of us know that people who attend church, they are. The church is full of scandal lately. Leaders falling one after another, after another, after another. People found embezzling. People founding, found, yeah. The church in some ways is a mess, but you know what's amazing? That God calls messy people to be His. And through His grace and His love and His mercy, He shapes His beautiful people into a return to being church. For those of us who've been caught up in all the reading, you know, I, I was reading the other day that many, many, many churches over the last year and a half are closing now. And, and I, I'm of the opinion, and I may be wrong about some of the churches, but I'm of the opinion that the pandemic, the COVID thing that we've experienced, didn't so much wreck churches. I think in many ways it revealed something in the churches that are closing. That even in business... And not completely, not all the time, but but often it accelerates something that was already taking place. 
What's it done in your life? This pandemic, this COVID, this this pulling the side of God's people of all into all kinds of different spaces. What, what's it? Is it helping you be more who you are? Over the last year and a half or so, have you been less who God has called you to be? Or, or maybe nothing's changed for you. So the title of the message is The Beautiful Return to My Church. And I would like to remind us of something. No matter what you think about the church, no matter how angry you might be with your church, how frustrated you might be with your church, how, how disappointed you might be with your church or your pastor, I want to remind us of something. Jesus said these words. I I will build my church and the powers of hell will not overcome it. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will. I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Here's what I'm confident of. That we, God's people, are God's job. (laughs) You're his fault. (laughs) I'm his... Oh, no, no, no. I am his people. We are his people. Called by his name to be on purpose for a purpose. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't attend church. You are church. I want to invite us, encourage us, exhort us to stop attending church. I want to encourage, invite us, exhort us to be church. God's people called by his name. The church needs to learn continually over and over and over who we are, why we are, what our purpose is. It's like, it's like the D1 coach who picks up the ball. Oh, I'm sorry, the other way. Spins it and looks at his team of near professionals and says, gentlemen, ladies, this is a ball. The coach brings the players every once in a while back to the basics. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want us to bring us back to the basics to pull back the curtain and look at the early church. What are the characteristics that made the early church amazing? The same kind of characteristics that God would invite us to embody. I want to read from Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, which becomes meaningless lately because I say that all the time about all kinds of different passages. This is an amazing passage. This is a look, a glance into the early church of God's people. This is right after the ascension of Christ or so, a a space of time, Peter has preached the first sermon under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. He preached about the the gospel. He preached about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who was crucified, dead and buried and rose again. The people cried out, what would he do? What do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Become followers of Jesus Christ. And that day, that day, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then we had this little space of time. And Luke, the author of the book of Acts, writes this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? Every day, God working in such a way that because of the way His church lives, because of the way His church speaks, because of the way His church influences, because of the way His church loves, every day people being added to His people group called the church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much. I thank You so much for Your Word. And as we peel it back, God, I pray that You give us a glimpse. Again, or for the first time, of who we are in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at five characteristics, five, five truths, five, five realities about the early church. And, and, and I'm going to write it like this. I'm going to speak it like this. They were these. We are these. Or we ought to think about becoming more like these characteristics. They were like this. We are like this, or or we ought to become more like this. The characteristics of the early church. Here's the first thing I noticed. They were a gospel people. They were a gospel people. They were born out of the gospel. It's not written in that passage in uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47. It's just before that. Is They had experienced, not, not just heard about, not just learned about, not just had a knowledge of, they had personally experienced the resurrected Jesus Christ who was crucified. He was dead. He was buried and he rose again from the grave. And many of those in the early church saw him. It quickened in their hearts to say, if he can conquer death, what he said about my sin must be true. They were gospel people. A people who believed that he was crucified, dead and buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, for the sake, for the forgiveness of our sin. They were a people set free from guilt. Those who had not seen him with their eyes knew that it was true because of the lifestyle and the transformation of the people who did. They grabbed on to the truth of the gospel, that he was crucified, that he was dead, that he was buried, that he rose again to the grave according to the scriptures for the sake of forgiveness of sin. They had been set free from sin. They were gospel people. They were set free to live as the Father dreamed of them living, not just from something, but for something. They were set free from sin. They were set free to live as he dreamed of them living. They had experienced the living Christ, the one who had rose from the grave. And the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. These were people. By the way, the, this, the word gospel, do you all know what the word gospel means? Let me do it this way. What does the word gospel mean? And who's the good news about? Jesus, right? For those of you who are new and those of you who are online, you can do this at home, right? You can do this in your living room. If people are still sleeping, say it loud enough that it stirs them in their bones, right? What's the word gospel mean? And who's the good news about? They experienced Jesus. 
They were gospel people. They didn't just hold truths in their head. They experienced reality in their hearts. They were people who knew, who experienced, who were loved by the Savior of the world, the Lord of their lives. They knew in their very being the gospel. It had this amazing effect in the early church that people of every flavor, ethnically, of every flavor, socioeconomically, every flavor of occupation, as they experienced him, they began to good news with each other. All of a sudden, the good news, all of a sudden, Jesus began to break down the barriers of the Roman aristocracy and the poor slave child because of the good news, Jesus Christ. To break down the barriers between the Jews and those who were non Jews, the Gentiles. The good news of Jesus. They were a people who knew the gospel. We are, many of us, people who know the gospel. We know Jesus. And if you don't, please, please figure out, please please discover. This is why, he is why we gather. Because we are church. His people set free from sin and set free to live into everything our Heavenly Father dreams of us being. Here's the second characteristic I noticed about these people in the early church. They were an empowered people. They were an empowered people. They didn't just try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder to be who they were supposed to be. They were empowered. Here's three ways they were empowered. Probably not all the only ways, but here's three. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. They had the power and experience of worship and prayer. And they had the power of one another. It says in Acts chapter 1 verse verse 8, it, it says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He will come upon you with power. That when the Holy Spirit comes, He will come on you with power. It's the Greek word dunamis. That's what we get the word, for, the, the dynamite from. It's like He will have an explosive power on your sin. He will have an explosive power on the divisions and discord in culture. He will have an explosive power on your ability to be everything that God dreams you of being, filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. God, through His power, will make you into who He dreams of you being. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. This people, this people were an empowered people. They were people filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The, the word there, that's be, be filled, you probably know this, right? It's not like fill once. It's not like go to a meeting and get filled. It's like be being filled all the time, every time, all day, always. 
be being filled, be an open vessel that God can pour His Spirit in through you all the time. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a people empowered by the Holy Spirit. Their, their witness was empowered. Their, their expression of the good news of Jesus was empowered. Their speaking of the good news of Jesus was empowered. Maybe. Maybe in our living... Well, let me retract the maybe. I want to invite us in our living and our speaking, our expression and our exposition of what God has said and done to rely more on the power of the Holy Spirit. The key he is. God. Think of this. Think of this. You know who you are, right? Everybody kind of pretty much know who you are. Some of us know more about who we are than than others, and some of us know less of who we are than others. But you, but you know where you've been. You know the things. You, like God says, when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, that the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. That God sees fit to make you His holy temple. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by worship and prayer. I am amazed, and I've shared this many times, how in my own life, how important this time is. I, I try to worship all week long. But once a week, we're called to bring our worship together, to worship together. We worship every day in all that we do and all that we say as God's people. We, we are church. Right? And once a week, he calls us to bring our worship together, to worship together. And it's amazing what happens to the darkness in my head. It's amazing what happens to the darkness in my soul when we worship and praise God and speak to Him and communicate with Him. The darkness is pressed back by the worship and praise of His people. That's why in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, by, by the way, some of you, like, you attend worship? Again, just like church, I don't want you to attend worship anymore. Give worship. Because he is worthy of all of our worship. This was a people, the early church was a, a, a people that were empowered through the Holy Spirit and empowered by their worship and praise of God. In the early days, in the Old Testament, when the people of God were moving into a new territory, you know who they sent first? They sent the worship leaders, the worship team, into war, singing the praises of God and worshiping Him, not just symbolically, not just like because they're supposed to be, because their hearts were engaged in how amazing God is. There's something about empowering God's people when we gather together to worship and pray to Him. These were an empowered people. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by worship and prayer. And they were empowered by their one anotherness, by their hanging out with one another. You know this. You know this. You, you can see it all over the media. With, with a group, any, any group that gets together seems stronger together than they are as individuals. They, they, for good or bad. Any group gathered together gains a courage and a confidence in a way that astounds people, that amazes people. That, that when you gather together, there's something about the power of the togetherness. It's what the Greek, the, the, the early church called fellowship, or the Greek word koinonia. It wasn't just like coffee. Koinonia was a buying in together on something that they were doing together. It was a deep connection with each other. It was, it was the church gathered in homes together. It was the church gathered in, in fives and tens. The church gathered in thousands 
in the temple courts is the church gathering together for the sake of being united as a force, as a movement. There's empowering in us gathering together. You've, I, I was watching a podcast this week, or what? Not, you don't wait. So let me rephrase that. I was listening to a podcast this week, and the podcast was about the Hoosiers, the basketball team, right? And and they were talking about how their coach, I believe his last name was in the, uh, Knight. Yeah, Knight. His last name was Knight. Yeah, thank you for the reminder. And and he used to tell the team there is no I in team. Because team is an us thing. Let me just mention to you, there's no I in church. But if there's no you, then you just got... There's no power in... It sounds like something that gets loaded but doesn't have any strength to fire. But when you put you back in church as God's people, there's a power there that's amazing. Because we all, if we do church well, being, not attending, we encourage each other in our small groups, in homes, and in our large groups together. There's something about the being together that presses back the darkness that keeps, that keeps the fire going when you pull a log out of the fire. The glow and the heat and the flames dissipate. It was D.L. Moody, the great evangelist in uh, early American history, who, who told a man who said, yeah, I don't, need to, I don't need to hang out with God's people. Moody didn't say a thing. He just walked up to the fireplace and grabbed one log with the tongs and pulled it out. And he sat and visited with the man. Pretty soon the man looked down and the log had gone dark and smoldering with no flame. And some of us wonder why our hearts and souls have grown dark. Maybe it has to do with our one anothering, our worship and prayer, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because these people, these people, the early church, was an empowered people. Here's the third characteristic I noticed. It, 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 it has to do with this. God's Word. The early church people... It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted. Like, like they nourished it. They cared for it. They loved it. They, they were God's word people. They were God's word people. There were people that said, we want to learn the precepts, the teachings. We want to learn what God has said here. We want to make sure that we are doing the kinds of things that God dreams us doing. We want to make sure that the sacred writings are embodied by us. That we learn how to live according to the Scriptures. That we learn how to speak according to the Scriptures. That we learn how to love according to the Scriptures. Listen to this from the early church father, uh, uh, Tertullian. lived about 160 AD, talking about the early church. He says, we assemble to read our sacred writings. And with the sacred words, we nourish our faith. It's like we feed our faith. We animate our hope. We make our confidence more steadfast and no less, less by inculcations, that means ingraining, by no less of the inculcations of God's precepts, we confirm good habits. We gather to study and be nourished by the sacred writings, God's Word, living 
and active, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. All Scripture is given to us through the breath of God. And able to teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us for everything that the Father dreams of us doing with the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through this sword, His Word. It says in the Gospel of John in chapter 1 verse 14 that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace is your grace is that unmerited favor that God calls us to extend to everybody. And truth is His Word. Actually, He was called the Word. I think the church, if I could be so bold, has in many contexts leaned heavily into grace, but have lost contact with the truth. In other contexts, they're so heavy on the truth without grace. When we read about Jesus, it says He came full of grace and truth. I don't mean to diminish our image of Jesus, but He was like a speedboat. A speedboat which, when it's going straight, or maybe, maybe the church could be more like Jesus, like a speedboat which, when going straight, grace and truth, like a wake behind them, follow and are displayed. When grace and truth are behind something that is going straight ahead on the path that God has designed, grace and truth are balanced. But if you weave any other direction, you create a wall behind the wake, or as the wake of the boat. And you diminish almost to nothing the other side. As God's people, we need to be full of grace and truth, full of unmerited favor towards everybody, but never compromising truth. We are God's Word people. That's who they were, even when it hurt. Even when they they believed something that, that said that we need to treat people this way, and it would cost them. Even when they said, a brother or sister who was erring, we need to, we need to correct them. We need to reprove them. We need to rebuke them. We need to love them and grace them. But we can't let them stay believing that. Full of grace and truth. God's word. A people of the book. The ancient book. Sacred writings ingrained in the hearts and lives of his people so that God, through his power of his Holy Spirit, can train us to live rightly. These people were a people, a giving people. They, they were a giving people. We are a giving people. We, if we aren't a giving people, we need to learn how to be better at giving. Listen to what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone yet. They gave up things they loved for things they loved even more. They gave up things they loved for things that they, they, they gave up freedom. They gave up time. They gave up space. They gave up private property. They gave up stuff because other people around. These were a generous people, a giving people at the core of the church. God's people was this willingness to, to extend themselves and expend themselves for the sake of his kingdom. Many of them gave up life. 
Matter of fact, if you are one of God's people, you already know this. You have been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. You belong to Him, so everything you are and everything you have belongs to Him. It's a mind-blowing thing to realize that all you are and all that you have belongs to God, and everything is at His disposal. That's what it means to be God's people. The early church was a giving church. They, they, they did things. Listen to this. They, they, back in the days of Rome, there was this thing. This just Every time I read this, it just blows me away. They had this disregard for human life. It was phenomenal. If a child was born deformed, or if a child was born unwanted, if a child was born untimely, they would take that child and set it out beyond their property on a post or on the ground and expose it to the weather until it died. Or the Roman people would take that child and put it out. This, this is a, this is a, and they put that child out on the dung heap. Or they would take that child and they'd bring it to the city trash dump. And you know what the church would do? Because they were people that would give of themselves. The church people, God's people, people who knew that they were called on purpose for a purpose, would go gather the children. And either nursed and held and loved them until they died. Or brought them home as their own. In the tombs, in the catacombs, uh, around where, where Christians would gather, it, it says this, in this article I was reading, the catacombs are filled with very tiny graves with the epitaph, adopted daughter, or adopted son of, and then they would list the name. Inscribed on it, these inscriptions refer to the many babies and young children Christians rescued from the trash. Because when you give, when you understand that the God of the universe has died for you, and loves you and loves everybody that gives everybody value from the person who is incapable mentally who in many cultures are disregarded or discarded for the person who is incapable physically who in many cultures is disregarded or discarded that the followers of Jesus see everybody and we affirm the value that God has given every human being because, because we are called on purpose for a purpose. The church, God's people, they're giving people, they give time. Not, not just a slot in a week to church. But they give all of who they are to being church, to being available all the time for Him. They, they, give, they give their talents, their gifts. You know, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, God has placed spiritual gifts in you. Things that He places in you that everybody needs. And when you are absent from church, absent from being who you are, it's just... But when you are present with your gifts and you... Give them to each other. The administration, the mercy, the helps, the service. When you find your place, the church becomes more and more everything the Father dreams of us being. Able to touch a community. The church is a giving people. Giving of time and talent and treasure. They gave to everyone who has he had need. 
and testimony. They give their testimony, the story of the work of the gospel in our lives. It's not our story. It's His story. And we are called to give it. Finally, finally, the church... Oh, by the, by the way, the church, when they give, are extravagantly generous. The church has discovered that it's more blessed to give than receive. It's one of the things I love about this particular slice of God's church. That you guys, we are genuinely generous. And lastly, the fifth characteristic of the church, that they were, that we are. And if we aren't, we need to learn how to be better. They were a mission people. They didn't exist for themselves. They were always thinking of the person who's not present yet. They were always thinking of the person who hasn't heard yet. People getting in boats in the days when you would row or sail into unknown territories because they wanted everybody on the face of the earth to hear the message of the hope and love of Jesus Christ. See, we have this vision in the church. That God would give us the strength and the ability to touch with the hope and love of Jesus at least 10% of the unchurched people in the greater Grand Forks area. And once we've touched those, we'll touch the next 10%. Next 10%. That God has given us a mission to make more and better disciples. Encouraging everybody to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Who let God love them. Who love Him in return. And who love others in Jesus' name. That God has given us a challenge and an encouragement to be His people to make sure that everybody you meet because you are on mission wherever you go whatever time you're there whoever you're with that you are church called on purpose for a purpose maybe for this very time at your workplace in your home wherever you are that God has filled you with his love and his grace with the transforming power. Can you imagine what would happen if all of God's people in the greater Grand Forks area, every slice of his church, would live up into who we are? My goodness, the streets of this community would be flooded with the hope and love of Jesus. People, if they wanted to get away from the name of Jesus, would have to move to Fargo. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that anymore. This is a beautiful return. Not to a place, but to be being a people. We are church. We are church. A people not a place. Lord bless you.